Welcome to episode 8, season 3 of What's Killing My Kale. This week we are talking soil health with Claire Lacan and Shane Bougea, two local extension educators. This is Natalie Hoydel. I'm an extension educator for local foods and vegetable production, and I co-host this podcast with Annie Claude, an extension educator for fruit production. So this week we're talking soil health, and specifically we're talking about measuring soil health. So measuring soil health is really important, um, mainly in situations where either you want to learn a little bit about your soil, or more importantly, when you are using interventions like cover crops or reduced tillage systems. Um, In general, when you're implementing strategies to um, protect soil health on your farm, measurement is a really important way of just seeing whether it's working and comparing treatments to see what's working best. So I think when most people think about soil health, they think of some of the physical indicators. Um, And the Natural Resource Conservation Service has done a lot of really good work with really simple on-form tests that you can do um, to look at aggregate stability um, or infiltration, those sorts of uh, physical measures of soil health. And in the last couple of years, there has been more interest in exploring ways to measure biological health in soil. So looking at microbial communities in soil um, and kind of figuring out how that corresponds to things like physical health or even nutrient management. And so Claire and Shane have been doing a really interesting project trying to see whether some of these kind of at-home measurement tools, kind of looking at whether or not these strategies are effective at actually measuring biological diversity in soil or biological activity in soil. So with that, let's go to their interview where they're going to explain their project and some of what they learned. Uh, My name is Shane Bougea. I'm the local extension educator in Blue Earth and Lesur counties. And um, a lot of what I do is pretty varied. I answer questions from farmers, uh, both vegetable and commodity farmers, livestock. Uh, Then I answer a fair bit amount of questions from gardeners and homeowners as well. And then I help um, manage um, uh, regional educators and other extension professionals that have their own programming in my counties. Yeah, and I'm Claire Lacan. I'm a local extension educator serving Rice and Steel counties. And so my position looks very similar to Shane's, answering questions about um, farming, gardening, trees in the yard, and everything in between. And also, of course, doing programming to bring university resources to meet our community's needs as well. And my background is in agroecology and entomology. And so that's really what kind of um, makes us interested in this kind of work that we ended up doing with our soil health study here. Yeah, great. Um, So you've been looking at the validity of different um, on-farm soil health tests. So can you introduce your project and just talk about maybe why you decided to do it and why it's important? Uh, Sure. So um, one of the reasons, you know, soil health testing uh, has been really gaining popularity, uh, not just in um, one section of agriculture. I've seen it kind of, you know, the whole concept of soil health is is pretty universal in a lot of different ways of of agriculture and horticulture. Um, And a lot of times farmers want to know if if they're doing a conservation practice, 
Uh, is it paying off? Is it having really any effect on their uh, functioning of their soil? And um, <clears throat> a lot of these soil health tests, uh, they just attempt to um, incorporate not just, you know, physical or chemical measurements that you might see in traditional tests, uh, but they might add some other things like biological ones. Um, you know, there is merit to that. We know that microbes are critical to crops, uh, healthy crops. Um, they can release otherwise unavailable plant nutrients. They can outcompete harmful diseases in the soil uh, and otherwise sustain the environment. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we really want to be sure of on soil health tests is we want to make sure that these are useful and practical to farmers and they're also accurate or valid. So they're really measuring what they're, what they're measuring. So that's what we were attempting to do when we were doing these comparisons was to kind of see the pros and cons of, of some of these and uh, on farmers fields. Great. And so I think, so the main audience for our podcast is farmers, but we get quite a bit of gardeners listening as well. Um, are these tests that you could also do in a garden? Yes. Um, a lot of times, uh, you know, most of the interest that Claire and I get is from farmers, mm -hmm. but um, I do get the occasional gardener who's wants something beyond a standard, you know, $15 um, soil test you might get at, at St. Paul. Um, but, you know, a lot of times these, uh, there's companies that can offer these and I've seen a few that have been marketed towards gardeners, but um, yeah, so they're definitely out there for for multiple uh, different groups of people. Okay, great. Uh, so the two tests that you looked at were tea bag measurements and tongue depressors. Um, so starting with the tea bags, can you just explain kind of how it works um, and what some of the pros and cons might be of that method? Yeah, so uh, the tea bags were buried in crop fields in between crop rows and uh, we did 10 tea bags of green tea and 10 of red tea. So it was two different types of tea to kind of represent two different kinds of organic matter that would maybe be out in the field. So green tea is organic matter that would be more easily decomposed. And then red tea it kind of represents a more recalcitrant organic matter or something that uh, is more difficult to decompose. So we left the tea bags and the tongue depressors buried in the soil for 60 days. And so um, we wanted to measure the decomposition of those two different kinds of tea and see if that decomposition or total weight loss of the tea bags correlated with any of the results from, we looked at the Haney test and then the PLFA or phospholipid fatty acid test um, to see if there was anything that had a relationship in those tests. Okay, and what did you find when you looked at those results? Did the tea bags measure up or did they provide a useful comparison? Yes, so the tea bags actually didn't correlate with any metric of the Haney <laughs> test. <laughs> so um, there were some positive correlations of decomposition of the green tea bags with some micro, um, microbial populations as measured by the PLFA, but nothing really rang true across the board. We really had to 
delve into the results and uh, see if there were any relationships. And though some did come out as statistically significant, again, it's nothing that we would really feel comfortable uh, saying that, that it was a really meaningful relationship. Uh, the red tea bag decomposition followed similar patterns as, uh, to the green tea bags, but nothing was statistically significant there. Hmm, okay. Um, so then the other test you did was with tongue depressors. Can you talk a little bit about that one? Um, yes. Maybe if that was a better measurement than the tea bags? Right. Um, and let me just say off the board, I, I don't think I've said the word tongue depressors more often, like when we were trying to write <laughs> protocols and other things. Uh, we like to try to use different words, but uh, usually it comes out as stick or uh, a popsicle <laughs> stick or tongue depressor. But um, yeah, as actually, opposed, can you just clarify what that means? Is, is it like a big popsicle stick? Right. So it's a medical tongue depressor we used. It was about six inches. You could get a box of 500 for about $20. Um, it was really inexpensive. Um, and a lot of times, um, so these tongue depressors have been used in academic studies, but they were mostly forestry studies. So they were looking at mm -hmm. litter decomposition in a forested situation. And they were using some of these tongue depressors as a uh, standardized um, substrate or like a, like a wood. So it's, they're almost all made out of white birch wood. Um, so there's, there are a lot of known things about it chemically. So that's maybe one of the reasons why um, we decided to explore it was we saw this in forestry settings and we were told that, you know, not many people have done it on farm fields. So we decided we should try that. Um, as opposed to tea bags, our tongue depressors correlated with nothing on the PLFA, but it did correlate with some things on the Haney. So it was kind of interesting. Um, we found a really quite strong negative correlation of tongue depressors with organic matter. And what that means is, is that, you know, the more decomposition we saw in the tongue depressor, it actually, you know, told us that there was a poor quality soil there, which was a little surprising. Hmm. Um, and there could be a couple of reasons for this. Uh, one of them is that, um, you know, higher organic matter soils, they might hold more water and maybe that interfered with the, with the decomposition, but we didn't really see that with the tea bags. Um, but more likely uh, what could be happening is that we were seeing a priming effect. And uh, when I say priming effect, I mean that, you know, that piece of tongue depressor was so <laughs> unappetizing to the soil microbes because I had a C to N ratio of almost 200. Um, so a lot more recalcitrant than the red tea. Mm -hmm. And that kind of led some of those microbes to look around them and see what was more tasty. And that happened to be the organic matter. So they left the tongue depressor alone. So that was kind of our theory about maybe why the tongue depressors had those weird correlations with organic matter in the Haney test. Yeah. So what are your thoughts then about how farmers might use these methods? Would you recommend that farmers use them at all? Yeah, so I, I should say that one of the reasons we conducted this study, right, was to see if 
the tea bags and the tongue depressors would be really pretty easy, inexpensive ways for farmers to test their own soil health without having to purchase a relatively expensive or potentially very expensive soil health test. Um, so that, you know, that was part of the motivation behind it. And in doing this test, we're finding that maybe it's not the most practical, you know, using tea bags and tongue depressors, maybe aren't the most practical for, depending on what the farmer is trying to measure. So if really what you're interested in is if your organic matter is increasing over time, yes, the tongue depressors could give you uh, an indication of that, but wouldn't give you your organic matter percentage. So in that case, you would maybe pay for a regular, even a standard soil fertility test to give you an exact value of your organic matter. So I think the short answer is that these would be proxies. This tea bag and tongue depressor would give you a, a bit of an idea of what you're looking at for your microbial populations. But again, um, not giving you very deep insight. What would you say, Shane? So one of the things we noticed when we were out in the field um, and handling the soil, uh, putting a probe in, we're kind of smelling it, we're looking at the color, um, is that the healthiest sites that Claire and I would, would, would judge in our opinion as the healthiest site tended to have you know, higher Haney soil health scores, um, also had, you know, a higher diversity score in the PLFA test. It had higher decomposition of the green tea, um, had lower decomposition with the tongue depressor, and vice versa for the, um, the worst sites. So we were seeing, you know, maybe the extremes. It was doing a pretty good job of telling us what was okay and what wasn't, but we had a bunch of sites in the middle that it was kind of more nuanced and it was harder for us to use these tests to split them up or, or make um, statistically significant decisions about what site was healthier than the other. So a lot of these alternative tests are going in the right direction, um, but I don't think we're quite there yet with, um, with a lot of these scores that they have out uh, and these reports that they give out. Okay, so just a quick clarifying question then. Um, both the Haney and the um, PLFA tests are measuring microbial activity in some way. Um, what specifically are the two tests measuring and how do they differ from one another? Well, the, the PLFA test is looking at um, phospholipid fatty acids and it's uh, determining the composition of the microbial life that's in the soil. So it would split it up into different types of bacteria, um, fungi. So you get kind of like a, um, an enhanced picture of the microbial community in the soil. Mm -hmm. Haney test is using alternative um, uh, extraction materials compared to traditional soil testing, uh, where it tries to mimic plant acids and um, kind of estimates nutrient availability a little bit more um, and also gives information about carbon. 
there was another thing we didn't really touch on, but uh, and one of the things that correlated negatively with the tongue depressor was something called a CO2 burst test. Uh, and that's a, a way to measure microbial activity where they put water on a dried piece of soil, uh, the microbes wake up, so to speak, uh, and then it measures the uh, respiration or the carbon dioxide that comes off the soil. So, Yeah, um, and that one day CO2 burst test is often included in the panel when you do a Haney test or you can choose to add that option. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. In in our case, it was and you could, I think it was included in the commercial lab that we chose, but sometimes it can be separated. Okay. So a lot of the maybe more popular soil health tests that we see are more based on soil structure. So looking at like aggregate, um, aggregate, what's the word? Aggregate stability um, or infiltration. And so just stepping back for like a broader view, I guess, I'm curious to just kind of hear your thoughts about the relationship between soil structure and what you were seeing in your tests with microbial activity. Yes, if we had a little bit more time and money for this project, we would have loved to do some of those physical tests, uh, specifically an aggregate stability test, because physical tests are not snapshots in time, quite like microbial tests are, or even the PLFA and the Haney tests are uh, pretty subject to change over the growing season, where some of those physical tests are going to be more stalwart. Um, signifiers of what's really going on with your soil. So it's pretty well established in literature and research that physical measures are reliable. And so there are more things to mess up too when you're doing a microbial soil test. You have to collect the samples just right, potentially put them on ice to keep them cool, um, put them in the fridge or use expedited shipping. There's just a lot more to mess up and they're a lot more finicky than a lot of those physical tests as well. So the physical characteristics are still what Shane and I would consider really good signifiers. Probably that would be our preference over using some of these microbial tests at this point. Or of course, uh, if you did a microbial test, you may want to take some of those physical tests as well or do some of those physical measures because kind of like Shane alluded to earlier, we did make observations of physical characteristics, soil color, texture, even smell while we were out in the field. And those physical characteristics gave us a pretty good idea of what that soil's health was when we got our results back. Like he said, we, we kind of knew that the healthiest soil or the, you know, the, what ended up being the highest scoring soil uh, was the healthiest soil just by using our own senses. Mm. So then it sounds like in terms of broad recommendations, definitely support like the idea that farmers should be doing these sort of um, aggregate stability type tests or infiltration tests. Um, would you have recommendations for farmers who are interested in microbial activity? Would you say try some of these even though they maybe don't work very well? Uh, would you encourage people to get a lab test? Yeah, yeah it's a good question. And um, really where these soil health tests might be really um, useful is if you're doing relative comparisons. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're comparing maybe two different systems you have on your farm with, you know, that have maybe similar soil texture. Maybe they have the same amount of clay or sand or silt. Um, and then you compare one treatment to another. Um, you can also do what we call, you know, have a benchmark location. So if you have a, a microbial test like a PLFA um, and you want to have maybe something that you want to strive towards or goal, so to speak, um, one of those benchmark areas where you can take a soil sample is maybe near, you know, where you have living roots all year round. Maybe that's a CRP grassland or a reconstructed prairie or a fence row or something where, you know, that might be a goal. And you're using those relative comparisons um, to see, you know, you may not ever match those soil health values, uh, but it serves as that goal that you can work towards. And one of the things you got to bear in mind is a lot of these conservation practices, these cover crops and other techniques to increase soil health, um, it might take, you know, three to seven years Mm -hmm. to find, you know, some of these really measurable soil health effects, particularly in the physical side. Um, So you might need to do soil health testing a few times um, over the course of those three to seven years to see if you're making progress. But I think where a lot of these soil health tests right now can shine is if you're used uh, as a relative test not looking at a score uh, that they might give you that's based off um, a national database of data um, where the results may not be uh, applicable to your soil texture or your location. So, Yeah, and I'd add on to that, that even using it as a relative test, you do want to make sure to take the samples at around the same time of year or as close um, of weather conditions mm-hmm. as possible uh, and try to keep as many variables the same uh, if you're trying to track progress over the years too. Right, and micro- you gotta think of it, microbes are really, soil microbes can be very sensitive to things like temperature and moisture. Um, so leaving, you know, one of the examples we, we sometimes hear, it's like, you know, you leave a soil sample on the dashboard of your truck on a hot day. Um, That can really change the community structure of the microbes by the time you send it into the lab, Um, as opposed to some of the physical measurements where they might be not that snapshot in time, where they might be a little bit more robust when you're sending them into the laboratory. Yeah, those are great suggestions. Yeah. Do you have any kind of final thoughts you want to leave people with? Yeah, I guess uh, part of it is just that soil health tests that kind of tell you about the biology of your soils can be an extra uh, look into what's going on in in your soil. I wouldn't necessarily recommend using it as your sole basis to use management decisions, but it's another measure. So that's kind of what we're saying here overall is it's another way to get an indicator basically of what's going on in your soil. So just like if you went to the doctor, you wouldn't just have your temperature taken. You'd have, you know, get on the scale and get your weight and your BMI and all of that to get it all these different indicators of whether you are healthy or not. And that's kind of 
what these biology or biological tests can give you is another measure. Yeah, that's, thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think sometimes I hear from growers like, oh, I don't really do a soil test for nutrients because I'm more concerned about soil health. And that just feels kind of like band-aid solution, I guess. But yeah, I think it's a really good point that like nutrient management is also a really key part of soil health um, and is mm -hmm. one set of yeah. indicators that kind of goes with the other physical or biological indicators as well. Right. And it's, it's a way where you can get, it can serve as, you might have a, like a traditional soil health test or a traditional test, fertility test, might give you a good outline. Um, some of these soil health tests might fill in some of that, add some color to that outline or add in a little bit of depth uh, just to give you kind of a more um, holistic, you know, view of the soil. But I think the chemical the physical and the biological are all key to any productive soil and any productive farm. And I think, you know, when you're doing testing, um, you, you have to be aware that all those things are working together and influence each other uh, when, you, when you go out to work in the fields every day. All right, well, thank you for sharing your experiences and your wisdom that you got from this project. Um, I think people will find it helpful. So thanks for taking time to talk. Thanks, Natalie. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review. Um, and always feel free to reach out with questions or episode ideas if there are things that you would like to learn about. We will continue to have episodes throughout the growing season every couple of weeks. So stay tuned for future episodes.